Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening, however you're listening. This is Quantum of History. This is going to be episode 10. We're going to be doing Live and Let Die. we got a really special guest on today, my good friend Mario Harris. He's a really great man. He's a really good dude. He's a funny dude. He's got a lot to say. And uh, I'm really excited for you guys to listen to everything that he has to say. Well, what's happened since episode 9? Well, as per 2020 usual, a whole hell of a lot. So we're going to get right into Bond on This Day Award. It's going to go to Lefty's Donuts. Um, if you're not following him, he's a, he's a really funny guy. Um, leaves a lot of good comments on the pages. And he has a fucking page. So if you're not checking him out, uh, check him out on Instagram. Without further ado, let's just get right into this. Today's going to be Live and Let Die. Today's topic is going to focus on... You can't avoid it. It's what's been going on, and especially because this topic, I originally picked it through this topic before um, the whole George Floyd and everything gone to hell this, this, these last few weeks. Um, so we're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're going to dive into it, and uh, we're going to just talk about, we're going to have a pragmatic conversation about everything that's going on. Well, let's, before we get into the, the, the topics, let's talk about the movie itself. Live and Let Die is Roger Moore's first film, and I think it's probably his best. I go back and forth between The Spy Who Loved Me and Live and Let Die, which Roger Moore film I think is his best, but as of late, it's been Live and Let Die is my favorite. I think Baron Samity, I hope that in future movies as Bond 26 and 27 come out, I hope they really explore the idea of doing Live and Let Die again or doing some incarnation of it, but keeping Baron Samity as the villain. I think that is a. I think he's captivating. Jeffrey Holder's performance is amazing, and I would love to see Baron Samity modernized and made into some type of Bond villain. I think that would make for a captivating, captivating movie. Jane Seymour as Solitaire. Those things are built for speed and for pleasure in this movie. I mean, she is beautiful. She captivates. She owns the movie. She's one of the best Bond girls. The movie itself, I find it maybe even better than the book. I actually don't like the book that much. I think it's a hard read, especially the way that Ian Fleming writes the narrative and the dialogue. It's kind of hard to keep up with. So overall, I kind of I actually like the movie more than the book, which is one of the rare instances of that. It's also great to watch 1970s Harlem right there on TV on t- on your on your screen. You look at it and you would never recognize 1970s Harlem today as it is back then. And you know, it was 40, 50 years ago. wasn't that long ago. Complete change. Completely different, completely different. You look at all the vacants and the torn down and, and just the despair there. What a change the decades made. So it's really interesting to watch as a historical, just to watch it on film and to see both the decay and the vibrance of the neighborhood. So really interesting. I love that movie for all those reasons. The problem I have is, is the plot. I think Yafet Koto is brilliant also as the villain, Mr. Big. And Yafet Koto's portrayal of Mr. Big is one of the reasons that we're here today. It's one of the topics we're going to talk about. He's basically the inspira- He's inspired by real life, Bumpy Johnson, Frank Lucas, these real 1970s Harlem gangsters that had a really impact on both American lore, American lexicon, and then what happened during the 1970s in the area. It also has ties into what's going on today, all the rela- race relations, everything that's going on today. You can bring it right back to 1970s, same things were happening and the same problems and what's kind of the root of it. What are the roots of these problems? What are the roots of these conflicts? And it's always complicated. It's more complicated. But we're going to go into some topics and some of them are hard to discuss. So we're going to talk first of all about the modern topics. One that's happening right now, unfolding, that's causing chaos. And really, I mean, what a downward spiral this country's gone in the last two weeks. What happened to George Floyd was not a tragedy. It was just murder. And that's what it was. 
Derek Chauvin, the police officer that was there, I can tell you exactly what happened because we've been there before. George Floyd went to get into to the wagon for the transport. He bucked him, tried to fight him a little bit. He's already handcuffed. George's a big guy. You can see that Derek's um, uniform, he's got his badge off, and it's half hanging, and he's all disheveled. You can tell he got in a little tussle with George. And they got him down, they got him restrained, and it was over with. At that point, it's over with. And never should you put your knee on a neck. Everyone knows that. No police officer in this country, in this world, is defending what happened. Derek couldn't get out of it. He couldn't get out of it. You can see it in his eyes. And it went from trying to restrain somebody to being malicious. And I don't think he intended to kill him, but he intended to be evil. He intended to hurt George. And as he goes limp, he stays on it. He can't get out of it. And he's still in that fight mode. And what he did was murder. Nobody's defending that. No police officer in this entire nation is defending it. So let's really get into this. The protest and the movement is all about change and they want racism stopped overnight. Okay, well, that's that's not a realistic goal. All right, you might as well throw in, I want world peace tomorrow. I want Israel and Palestine to get along. I want the Middle East to fix all their problems. I want all the African tribes to get along. No, that's, that's not realistic. So let's not make a big giant goal, an unrealistic goal that we can't fix today. So what are the policies that have implemented into this systemic racism that everyone's protesting against? Okay, we can all agree that murder, rape, robbery, theft, assault, these are all things that the police do, they enforce, but they're also innate in human nature that they are wrong. Nobody's arguing, nobody can argue that they're wrong, okay? So in this country, in the United States, 94% of black people are murdered by other black people. That's just that's just the facts, that's just what... The victims say, that's what the video says, is what eyewitnesses say. That's facts, I can't change that. That's not a police function, that's not a police oppression thing. That is what it is. Rape is rape. If the victim says it's a black person, it's a black person. If it's a white person, it's a white person. If it's a Hispanic, it's Hispanic. That's just, we're not changing that. Police, that, police bias doesn't change that. That's an innate law. No matter what it is, the suspect is the suspect. In robberies, in Baltimore City, it's at least over 95% the suspects are black in robberies. That is what it is. That's what the witnesses say. That's what the videos say. That's not a police function. That's not a police bias. That's not a police oppressive. Those are the facts. What are the biases? Where does this biasness come from? And it comes from exponentially from drug laws. Now, in the 1980s and 1970s, when the war on drugs started, when it really amped up, police, jails, everything went up exponentially. Now, where did that happen? So as this war comes in, it goes, the drug dealing and the drug trade goes further and further into the projects where people have nothing and they're more willing to do this. And there's nothing more racist I've ever seen in my life than public housing. In Baltimore City, it's so exemplified as far as what I see, because I've lived in other cities and lived in other areas. I've never seen such biased gentrification, such biased racism, such biased things as been public housing. The whole idea of public housing is absolutely flawed unequivocally racist by any means. I mean, these projects are exclusively black. That's not a police function. We didn't do that. So what is the narrative that put everybody there? That is decades and decades of policy of public housing. Maybe it started as a beneficent thing. You know, let's make these power houses. Let's make these things. But these projects have denigrated absolute systemic racism. So as the 1980s progresses, and the war on drugs comes out and more and more incarceration, more this and more that, it became pressure on the police to go out there and be the, because we're the fist. You know, the brain is the lawmakers and the fist are the ones that actually go out there and enforce what they're trying to do. So police are sent out there, go get the drugs, go get the drugs, save the truth, save this, save this, oppress it. 
And it became an oppressive thing as because drug dealing goes into the most poorest neighborhoods and the people who have nothing who are willing to risk it for that. And that happens to be blacks in the projects. The drug use is more, more white people use drugs than black people. But more blacks sell drugs because they're in impoverished areas. They have nothing to lose. And that's where it becomes. And by the time we're at 2020, it's become generational. You have an entire city of Baltimore City, an entire side of a city who's one singular and I mean this, and you have to experience it. If you haven't experienced it, it's the absolute truth. There is one enterprise, an entire half of a city, and that is completely based on drug trade. The culture, it's, in, it's generational. These kids are growing up. They know nothing else except for drug trade. I mean, there's, there's a couple corner stores, but there is no commerce. So that, has to, that makes us really have to look at what we're doing. Because drug laws are there to enforce the idea that if drugs are illegal, you won't do them. And my argument is that if you want to do drugs, there's not a single law that's going to stop you. Anyone that's listening to this podcast can find drugs within five minutes. They know somebody who can get it. They know where to drive to it. The laws are affecting nothing. They're not stopping you from doing it. And in in European nations where they have legalized drugs, there's been a a little spike through the first two, three years. And then it kind of leveled out to drug use about the same as what it is. So my argument is that the laws against drug laws, drug use and drug sales affect are not affecting the actual amount of drug use. They're not. But what they are doing is they are making the police come in contact with minorities, with blacks, with Hispanics at a much higher rate and in a much more negative light than any other policy. And is it working? Is it worth it? Now you're putting people in jail, you're putting, start starting at 16 years old when you can start really getting arrested for things. You're putting these guys in jail, a 16 year old for dealing drugs for a nonviolent crime. You're putting them away for a very long time. All right, now you're putting a record on their thing. Now they want to try to go out and get jobs, they're missing school. And now it becomes a cycle where at 16 years old, you're already way behind. So the time you come 18, now you have a kid. And it usually about 18, 19, there's a, I've dealt with a lot of people who are fathers at 18, 19, 20 years old now, and they're going to jail for four, three years, and they miss that big area, and then they come out, and then they do uh, something else, and they keep going back to the drug game, because there's nothing else, there's nothing else, there's no other enterprise, you go back to your home, you go back to your family, where your baby mama is, where your child is, there's no other way to make money, now you have to provide, you're living on basically government assistance, and then the other spending money that you have is going to be on drug dealing. And it's over and over and over again. You're sending people away for a very long time, missing their entire youth. They're spending money, your entire chance to get a job, a career, and build a foundation for yourself. You're spending that time in prison rather than that. And because of a nonviolent offense. So I want to bring in my, my good friend, Mario Harris. He's been a, a, a guy I've always, expired, I've always uh, looked up to as far as being a cop and a man. When I first became a cop in Baltimore City. He was on the drug unit and that was like the varsity team. Everybody wanted to go to that unit. And then, so I spent the whole year working my butt off, finally got into a specialty unit and eventually got to be on the same unit and I learned a lot from him. And I started out respecting him as a cop, but I met him more and talked to him and and really got into his life and, and understand who he is. I really respect him, not only as a cop, but as a man. So I'm really excited for you guys to come in, listen to what Mario has to say really good interest and uh, here he is without further ado the man the myth the legend mr mario harris hey, my nigga, we have a wonderful day.
And I won't fuck with my wife This is the first of the month And I'll be smoking, joking, rolling, busting Sipping on 40 ounces, again. Come, come, we got the bust and rum All night we high Get up the back to where It's 99 I give up my nigga to give us some play Yo, double up nigga, what you need? We got weed to get me your day Alright, welcome in my good buddy Mario Harris Welcome in What's going on, man? What's going on? New Bond guy. <laughs> yeah, just got into it, man. I've been watching all of them that's on uh, Amazon Prime now. Amazon you know what I'm saying? Yeah, after the movies, I'm going to go into the books. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, you know, always, it, with, it, with any movie, any movie, I think the books are almost 100% better. Always. Everything. I remember you came into the office the other day, and you were like, I knew you had started not too long ago, and you're like, uh... Uh, I'm like, hey, those those Roger Moore films are hard yeah, to get yeah, 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 they, they were. See, I, I kind of got out of order, you know what I mean? Because uh, what I was looking at, they didn't, well, what channel I was looking at, they didn't provide all of them, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Especially the earlier ones. Yeah. But they had a lot of ones in the, in the mid-70s and the early 80s. And uh, was it Moonrise? Well, Moon Moon oh, my God. So man. He, he I had to get through it, though. I had to get through it. <laughs> he comes at the office. He's like, that, that Roger Moore is pretty rough to get through. And I'm yeah. like, I knew about where you'd be I'm like, yeah. yeah, what movie did you watch? And you're like, the one? I'm like, Moonraker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I knew. The, the whole topic. I mean, it was, you had to be on acid to come up with that, man. <laughs> had to be on acid. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 like, the first, I find Roger Moore films, like, in general, the first time I watched them, I was like, this is fucking retarded. Yeah. But they've grown on me. Yeah. Like, Moonraker's one. <laughs> I, I don't know how. No. <laughs> yeah, 2020, it's not easy to go into. You're right, you're right, right. Like early 80s, late 70s movies, I think in anything were terrible. <laughs> I, I think the Roger Moore ones from the 80s feel older than the, the, Roger, the Sean Connery from <laughs> the 60s. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So what we're talking about today is going to be about is about um, basically the most infamous... What we started with the infamous uh, drug ping, kingpins of like Harlem in the seventies, yeah, yeah. Bumpy Johnson, and all that. And I know you brought one. What was his name? Oh, it's Rayful Edmonds, man. Like I said, I'm from I'm from Annapolis, Maryland. So I'm like 20 minutes from. Baltimore, 20 minutes from D.C., right, he, he, right in the middle. He'd rather claim D.C. Uh, <laughs> we, I know, I claim Annapolis, man. I don't claim neither one of them. Especially coming up, you know, when I was a child, you always heard about Ray Fabbins. My Actually, one of my, my family members used to date one of, one of his associates and everything like that. As soon as she found out that he you know he, he was in a drug game, she got up out of there. She wasn't about that life, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, uh, you know... It's real interesting, man, you know, about this dude, if, if you really look into it and his whole organization and how young he was when dude was a multi-millionaire, yeah. like I, I think 300 million a year millionaire, you know. So, like, where I come from, I've never even heard, I've, bro, the woods, we wouldn't even know what 300 millionaire drug pens yeah, yeah, is, you know? Yeah. We know about Buddy Light and Jenny Light, right? <laughs> So now coming down to like being in a big city and uh -huh. stuff, it's, it's interesting to see the viewpoints. Uh, just his name when I was in elementary school, mm -hmm. he was already in in jail by then. Yeah. You know, I locked up at 24, but everybody knew about him. You know, yeah. what I mean, if you wasn't from, you from that area, you knew something about Ray from You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And him also him being connected with Georgetown, you definitely knew about that. You know what I mean? And Georgetown was the biggest thing in the 80s. Yeah. That's what, that was the time that he was shining, you know, the most. How, do you, how did you, how was he revered? Like, how do you, how were you here? See, see everybody that, that knew him, you know, reading about it, knew him, that he was a smart, intelligent guy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, he, he actually kept the peace, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not, not saying that, you know, he didn't do his dirt because the motherfucker 
<laughs> he was convicted for 30 murders, you know what I'm saying? But uh, they said that aside, that, that aside, they said the streets of, of DC were uh, a little bit safer in uh, in the late 80s. And then once he went away, all hell broke loose because you had the cats from New York coming down DC, uh, hiring DC cats, you know what I'm saying, to do hits and everything. I had them bumping heads. So if you know about DC in the not early 90s, man, the fucking murder rate was bonkers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, you know... It, Just like New York face, oh, Harlem yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even looking at the old pictures of the 70s from Harlem, you see the difference now. Like, you would never even be able never, to... Never. Never. recognize it. And never. DC went through the same thing just yeah. a little later. But look at DC now. You can't I would, even come... I, you I can't would, even touch an apartment. I was in... Uh, off Minnesota Avenue in Southeast DC. I had a flag football tournament there. And Minnesota Avenue when my stepdad we used to I played flag like I said, I played flag football. My mm. my dad played flag football when he was younger too. So when I was ten I used to go down there. It was a fight or somebody shooting up in the air probably every month. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now I saw white people walking Yorkies. And my man, he yeah. police up there. So yeah. I'm like, yo, what, what's going on? He's like, dog. Yeah. This is a new day. This is the new DC. Like, gingerfied is an overstatement right there, bro. Oh. Man, bro, they are, uh, like, they, uh, DC has a native uh, music. You hear me playing it in the office and everything. It's called DC Go Go. Yeah. You know what I mean? White people called police because they were playing uh, Go-Go too loud. Yeah. <laughs> they tried to shop. This shopping center had been playing Go-Go for years and years and years. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they called the police on them. <laughs> we're not going to have that here. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's yeah. crazy how it changes. And it, and it really didn't take that long. It uh, took, no. you know, 20 years. No, you know, you, you devalue the property, you know, through all the violence and everything like that. And then uh, white people swarm up and buy it all up. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's a whole difference. Yeah. It's, it's like if it if it goes down, it's white flight. If oh, it yeah. goes up, it's white and everything. Yeah. So now you got you know suburbs of DC like PG County, uh, uh, Sweet Pleasant, Forestville, Largo. Those play places you're starting to see you know in in um, increase of crime. Mm. You know what I mean? Since DC and DC is getting uh, very safe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And it's uh, it's amazing. I mean, you see that Harlem did the same thing, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I know I even heard a, read a story about Rayful that he would actually go into um, the George Georgetown Hoyas, shop, uh, yeah, the Hoyas. Yeah, and he was he was messing around with Alonzo. Oh, Mo- he was mourning and and uh, the uh, John uh, was it Johnson kid Tolliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, they would he befriended him, and the, the coach actually, I mean, the coach. Uh, John Thompson actually had to tell him, you know, he was, you know, like I say, he was a very respectful guy. Huge uh, Hoyas fan, like most of the country was at yeah. that time. And and John Thompson had to tell him, like, look, man, these kids got a lot, you know, riding on you. You got to stay away from him. And he did, you know what I mean? So you got to respect that. He, he didn't have an yeah. ego, it seemed like it. Yeah, man. it seemed like everyone was, you know, that people stepped up to Rayful. Oh, no, no. He got 30 bodies on his name. Yeah, you got 30 bodies on his name. You're not the guy to be messed with, man. You're not the guy to be messed with. But it is interesting to see, like, even a guy like John Thompson could be like, look, these guys are going to go somewhere. And then uh, he had enough to respect it. Oh, and yeah. It's, like, it's, a yeah. Different, it's a different era where at least there's... There's respect. It is respect, man. You know what I mean? They know. They know you got a job. You, you know, it had to be like that with the police too. You know what I'm saying? For sure, working with you and seeing how you interact with the people. Mm-hmm. You've been doing this for how long now? I'm in my thirteenth year, man. Thirteenth year. year. 
Can't yeah. go fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> Only 12 more to go. Only 12 more. <laughs> but it is, it is interesting to see how you're, you definitely, and you give it back and you don't yeah. take any shit and yeah. you're your own dude, but you definitely are respected at the same point. So yeah. it's definitely. I try to, man. You try to. This is a different age though now. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's much harder to earn respect now with these guys, with the younger guys. Yeah. Um, have you in your in your time as, as being police and I know we're trying to kind of going into a rabbit hole. That's here, cool. That's cool. Have you um have you ever had to the point where you, you never did anything wrong, but you've ever thought of like you've been into a house or done anything like that? And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this, or even looking back now, is anything reflected? Oh, has anything oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely, man. There's sometimes you know you feel sorry for the people, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and you feel they give you you know they they out there doing wrong and they give you a little bit of backstory. You like, man, this kid ain't have no fucking hope. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's all he knew. His mom was out there. You know what I mean? His dad was out there or wasn't around. You know what I'm saying? Or neither one of them was around. So he ain't had no options. Or he didn't have anybody in the neighborhood to look after him or guide him in the right direction. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's it been a couple of instances like that. Like, man. Yeah. These cat, this cat, you know, what I mean, he he already started the race, uh, the the mile race, uh, two hundred mile, uh, two hundred meters behind. You know yeah. what I'm saying? These dudes, some of these dudes are going to these projects and they they have nothing but drug dealing. Not, you know, nothing but that's all they say. Absolutely. Now, now, in respect on that though, you like you know what I'm saying? My grandfather told me, you know. Especially, like I say, dealing with this, you know, with type of culture we in right now and the climate that we in right now, we got to do, like, as a black man, I had to make sure that, you know, just taking, for instance, this job, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I know buddies that before they were police, they were drinking, you know, they probably did a little, probably tried <laughs> try some drugs, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Or got in trouble, got tickets, bro. I had to be on a straight and narrow from when I was 10 years old all the way up to my adult all the way up through college, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So I would go into a situation, go into a party, go in and be like, you know what, it's time for me to leave, mm-hmm. which one of my partners that's you know, white or something like that, he ain't had to think about that right. I was thinking five years down the, you know, the future, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, or what I'm going to do or what I'm trying to be at. And like I said, before this job, before I got the job, I didn't drink. Never smoked weed, never did any type of drugs, nothing. And it was still hard for me to get the job, you know, <laughs> feel me? So, you know, as like I said, as a black man, we are put in predicaments that we have to do things, you know, we had to be we had to be two times as better as our white counterparts just to get where they at. You know what I'm saying? I'll say that look for my end, so I wasn't exposed to pervasive drug use or anything like that mm-hmm. until I was college. Like yeah. I grew up poor. Yeah. But I didn't have the things that you have as mm-hmm. far as like you, you say at 10 years old you're already exposed yeah. to things that I wasn't exposed to until college mm-hmm. so at one point I look at some of these guys who, who get arrested for dealing drugs and mm-hmm. all that stuff and they've had to deal with it and they had to have been perfect their whole life Yeah, and it's so much harder to be perfect at 14, it 15 is. It is. than it is to be 18, 19 you're it a is. different person it is and like I say man like I first got my car I was like the only dude in high school to have a car right mm-hmm. so I remember when my father my stepfather you know I got the car he was like don't let only only two, only two people riding in your car that's it mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying because you don't get pulled over mm-hmm. and, that, and that was the rule I stuck to you know what I mean nobody we could leave from practice but like nope you know what I mean? <laughs> Only one person in the backseat. That's it. I, yeah, I, I mean. will say, I, I've always respected you, Mario, yeah. as far as because 
you're definitely your own man. You're yeah. not you're not you're a free thinker and the fact that even when I want to do shit like uh wear a vest to the uh wear a vest for the marathon. Yeah. I can talk everybody else to <laughs> yeah. get into it. Yeah. I can't talk your ass into doing it. No, no, no. Like no. you are very much your own man. You make your own decision. It's definitely just something we respect and and that you can tell that it comes from you didn't get to where you are today. Correct, man. You know I mean, you're a great father. You're a great community member. You do the flag football for yeah. everybody. You do amazing things for this thing. And that's because you had to deal with it and you decided very early. You said, that's it. I'm, Abs- I'm doing my thing. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You got to be your own man, especially in these day and age. And like I say, I get criticized from both sides. I get criticized from the black community because they say you, you're Uncle Tom or, you know, you're doing this, you're locking up your own people, like, Bro, you ain't my people if you out here robbing and stealing. Mm-hmm. No, I don't really care about the drug dealing. The drug dealing, that's a hustle. Mm-hmm. But you out here killing people, you out here hurting people, you not my people. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We the same color, but we ain't we ain't the same people. We not representing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not the culture, man. Yeah. We we gotta empower our people. We gotta educate our people. I want to see our people be more lawyers, doctors. You know what I'm saying? You know, attorneys. Uh, police officers, you know what I mean? Nurses, whatever. Not rappers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not glorifying being fucked up on perks. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's what I want to do. You know what I mean? So, like I said, I even, we, I lock up a kid. You see him popping perks 14, 15 years mm-hmm. old. Well, I say, man, that's, I tell him all the time, man, that's legal dope that you that you pop. You know what I'm yeah. saying? That's it. That's legal dope. I remember everyone said, I was working. You would never arrest a juvenile for drugs. No, that was, that no, was your, that no. was your moral code. Yeah, that's my moral code, man. I did, for drugs, I, I, I did not lock up kids. Now, robberies is different. Different, you know what I mean? That's, especially in the city, that's who's committing most of the robberies. And, you know, that's a, that's a you know, robberies turn into rapes, turn into, you know, shooters, shooters turn into murderers or hitmen, you mm. know what I'm saying? So we try, you try to, like, you try to catch that early, man. And even with them, you try to reform them. Go, you know what I mean? You, you know, talk to them, try to give them another way out. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And I see how it go. I know as far as my morality, <laughs> as far as before coming to Baltimore City, I'm coming from the upstate New York, mm-hmm. and kind of all drug dealers are bad. Yeah. All drug dealing is bad. Yeah. There's nothing. And then you went to Border Patrol, same thing. Drug mm-hmm. mules are bad. But mm-hmm. I started to feel like right, these dudes are getting like 60 bucks to yeah. like 60 miles with 50-pound sex. Yeah. And then I get here, and then I get more indoctrinated, and I, I think that as far as my own, own morality goes, having to arrest people for just drug dealing mm-hmm. becomes harder and harder for me. Because Absolutely. We can all agree that murder, rape, rob, theft, yeah. assault, all that stuff, those are innate and in the human nature, that those are wrong. Mm-hmm. And and uh, as far as drug dealing, it, it's much blurred line for me. Absolutely. And it, those uh. that's, I have no morality with anything I've ever written or anything mm-hmm. I've ever done. I stand by everything, mm-hmm. but... Where I'm starting to question it, and I know you had it before oh, you oh got yeah. here, was oh, like, yeah. I'm not arresting a juvenile for mm-hmm. drug stuff. Correct. And I'm like, at first when I got here, I'm like, all right, well, that's that's what our job is. Yeah. But I don't. I always respected you from day one. But then as I've gotten older, I'm like, I get exactly what he does. Exactly. Like, I don't want to do that shit either. Yeah. Like, I don't want to sit here and, and look at the same people and arrest the same people for drugs over and over and over again, especially kids. Yeah, yeah. And it's a... It's a it's a weird it's a weird dichotomy that we have to face mm-hmm. and weird morality that we have to face. But you definitely have always yeah man. And then now he's he drinks Cabernet Sauvignon now. A- absolutely, Yo, he, bro. He, he knows uh, the I, red yeah. wine game. Hey, man. hey, bro, you gotta call it like hey, you gotta diversify yourself, man. You can't be stuck in the same. I was I was a, a Remy and Yak man <laughs> <laughs> for years. <laughs> Hennessy and Remy, baby, man. I was always on the yak, baby. You know what I mean? But now I got to diversify, 
the first by myself, man. I don't even mess with that too much. You know what I'm saying? Allegash red wine. All about red wine now, man. It's good for your blood, man. You have blood pressure, you have heart problems, or anything. That's good for you. That's it. That's it. A glass night, though. Can't overdo it, man. All right, man. Well, last question I always have, I'll have to ask. You got one chance with any Bond girl. You get 24 hours. What, what's your What's your number one Bond girl? Well, I'm gonna say Holly Berry. <laughs> Even though that movie was terrible. <laughs> but I would not. I would not marry Holly Berry. No. You see her relationships. None <laughs> of them. None of them worked out. No. No, but when she comes out of that pool, when she comes out of the ocean, I'm like, all right, I I could risk it all for that. Oh, absolutely. I'm not doing marriage. She is a crazy 10. <laughs> but I'll pass. For, for tw- I guess the question was only for 24 hours. 24 hours? For Halle Berry, a great 24-hour And break. I'll be up. <laughs> those, old, those whole 24 hours, up all day. Literally uh, and figuratively. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so. I have to uh, pop that boot pill, baby. <laughs> all right, well, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I love your stuff. He's been a guy I've respected so much. And uh, real pleasure to have you. Real pleasure to work with you. Mario Harris, thanks for coming on I today. appreciate it, home. Thank you so much, Mario, for coming in and doing this and taking your time out and uh, and really, you know, discussing and, and giving a little piece of yourself to the audience. I really appreciate it. If you don't want to follow him on Instagram, it's Mario Bird. Really, uh, really handsome dude. So he's worth the uh, he's worth the follow. When I first had the idea to come up with Live and Let Die three weeks ago, it was going to be a much different podcast than it's become today. I originally wanted to have Mario on. We really wanted to go on and, and talk about Frank Lucas and Bumpy Johnson. And, and then I was going to talk about Baron Semery, the Lords. And I, I probably at some point will do Live and Let Die Part 2. But for today, I think we're just going to stick on the topic and, and kind of what we could delve into in, in the more... I guess the more important topics today rather than the fun stuff and we'll get to live and let die fun part part two. There are there's violence that comes with drug dealing. There's violence that comes with drug dealers, but not all drug dealers are bad and especially it changed the paradigm as I've become as I've talked to and arrested, interrogated, interviewed all these drug dealers. Not all of them are bad. Some of them just really have absolutely fucking nothing. So you get into there and, and and it becomes more and more, it's become a moral dilemma for me. And I, I don't do drugs anymore. I've moved on to violent crimes, which I have zero morality with. Because if you're a violent person, you're a violent person. That's what I'm there for. I'm here to help people. That's why I signed up for the job. But drug laws, I mean, you're putting away these people, taking them away from their families for nonviolent offenses. Is It becomes more or harder to justify doing that. As far as what you want from the police and what you should want from the policing, and as far as systematic racism, but these project housings keep getting worse and worse and worse and deteriorating and deteriorating. The schools get worse and the schools get worse. And by the time you're done, you look at the west side of Baltimore City, there is nothing but public assistance and drug dealing. It, It leads to this horrific thing where police are told to go in there and stop crime, prevent crime, go be proactive. Okay, well, you are literally surrounded by nothing but drug dealing. So now you're just completely at odds with everyone in the whole community. And it's a complete perverse decay that has happened in these cities. And it's happened throughout, it happened throughout the country. So public housing needs to go. It's, it's the hard thing. It's not going to be the popular thing, but it needs to go.
It needs to go. People need to fend for themselves. It's not human nature that you put people and you just give them paychecks, you give them free housing, expect them to get out there. No, you have to. You have to get rid of public housing. It's 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 failed. It has failed in every city it's tried. Chicago, St. Louis, New Orleans, Detroit, all of these ones heavy public housing. Especially, I see it firsthand every day. Baltimore City's public housing has led to systematic racism and complete decay. The second part you have to get rid of is nonviolent contraband. Okay, there's no drug laws has failed. We've the war on drugs is over with. You have pumped billions and billions and billions of dollars into a war that has done nothing. It has done nothing but lead to further decay. It has led to conflict. It has led to further divide. And the reality is that there is a market for people who want to get high. There is a market. And in that, they have fentanyl, which has come out, which is just just pure death. Pure death mixed with malaria medicine. And that's how they cut it with malaria medicine. Like, you just can't. It's over. Just the war on drugs is over. It stopped. You know, marijuana, come on. Like, let's make that legal. Make corrections smaller. Make police smaller. Okay? There are... Especially now with the climate now, you know how hard it is to fill a police officer job? How do you sell this? How do you sell this to a college? How do you be like, you know what you should do? You should be a police officer because everyone in the world is going to hate you and you're going to leave nothing on your social media except for how much you need to die, how much racist you are, how terrible you are. But also you have to go out there and you have to protect the community. You have to put your life on the line for it. And you also have to do all these other things that are way past what a normal person has to do with in their life. But you're going to be hated for it. And you're going to be really, really, really hated for it. And all your friends are going to hate you. And all the friends that you had and that you consider friends are going to post on social media about the job that you do and how racist you are. Oh, also, you're not going to get paid that much. Yeah. And the benefits, you're not going to spend holidays with your, you're not going to spend holidays with your family. Um, New Year's, forget that. You'll never see another New Year's. Christmas, you're going to work Christmas. Thanksgiving, oh yeah, you're working that. July 4th, forget about it. You're working that. Oh, what else? Oh, what are the benefits it's going to have? Oh, yeah, yeah, and you're going to work a ton of overtime. You're going to work hours and night shift, and you might get to have to work midnights where you literally don't see your family. But, uh, you know, you get to wear a uniform. You can't, and it's going to get harder and harder to fill these jobs. How do, I don't know how to sell it. I don't know how to sell being a police officer anymore. Get rid of these drug laws. Get rid of so much. Make the police department smaller and pay better. You got to pay better. You want training, you want that. You're not getting you're not starting people out at $40,000 a year and you're not getting the cream of the crop. We are expected to be everything. We have to handle your domestic calls, we have to handle your your mental cases, we have to call cuz your dog dogs are off the leash and we also have to deal with triple quadruple homicides, we have to deal with kids that are killed, we have the kids that are molested, raped. We have to deal with all these things. And you have to get the cream of the crop to get to actually do this job proficiently what it is. Lower the uh, amount of police officers, raise the rate, raise the training. You have to have a bachelor's, at least have some college education, be able to read, write. And then you have to also not expect so much of this. We have to refine us. We are here for murder, rape, assault, robbery, theft, and the basic human human things that we know. Don't call me out leash laws. Don't call me out parking. We can do parking authority, something else. You get in a car accident, call your insurance. Speeding, traffic laws, there's cameras, there's red light cameras. All right, this is too many functions for us, and we're expected to do too much. Focus. Police officers have to be focused on what is important, and those are the basic human natures. Drug laws and contraband, am I supposed to go in your pockets and look for a little bit of crack and then arrest you? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Is that what I'm meant to do? No. No. I'd argue no. And that's what's led 
to systematic you know, this, the idea that police agencies are proactive, proactive, go stop it, go stop drug use, go stop crime, go stop this. Well, how do you do that? Well, you have to get into people's cars, you have to get into people's houses, you have to search for these drugs, you have to search for these guns. And what is it? It brings you contact and negative with the, with the public and especially of minorities. This has been episode 10. This has been Live and Let Die, guys. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your listening. Form your own opinions. Don't just go by hashtags. Don't just go by social media. Think about both sides. And I'm not saying you have to listen to me. This is one aspect. Take what I've take my opinions. Take what I've told you. Go read more. Read the complete opposite of what I say. Go read bulletins. Go read pamphlets. Go read everything about how much the police suck. How racist police suck. Go read whatever you can. Come back. Read what I have. Form your own opinion. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to them. Be yourself. Form your own opinion. I'm not telling you to believe exactly like I am. These are my thoughts. Take them. Internalize them. Think whatever you have. Read opposite points. If you agree with me, cool. If you have your own opinion, that's even better. And if you have somebody else's opinion, I can respect that. But at least think about both things. Don't have Twitter fingers. Don't have bumper sticker mentality. Be your own man. Be your own person. Be your own female. Do what you think is right. Don't just listen to hashtags. Thank you so much. Episode 11, I promise will be more upbeat. We'll talk about more boobs, but today I just felt like I've been avoiding it and I it just I had to, I had to say something about it today. So, so be safe guys. Be out there. I used to end it with avoid the rona, but I'm done with that. Apparently, corona's gone now. So, corona's gone. Corona's gone. All right, let's live our lives, guys. And if nothing else, let's look forward to November, no time to die. Bomb communities stay strong. You know, this is one of the best communities regardless of race, gender, you know, trans, LGBT. We have everybody that's in here. We all support each other. And it's a great community. It's a great example of what we can be. All right, so I really, I, I love this community. It's a great part of the community to be a part of. And I think every day that I'm a part of it. So guys, love you guys. Thank you for listening. And, and take care out there and be safe.